0: From the great state of Ohio, Buckeye Firearms Association presents Keep and Bear Radio. Fighting for Second Amendment rights, calling out media lies, and telling the gun grabbers to come and take it. Now, Keep and Bear Radio. Democrats, and many on the left, have been pushing hard for gun control. And fighting back has felt a little like playing whack-a-mole in recent years. You fight back one gun control law, and another one pops up. But all across America, cities, counties, and states have been declaring themselves Second Amendment sanctuaries in a desperate and determined effort to stop the unconstitutional onslaught. And that's what we'll talk about on this episode of Keep and Bear Radio. I'm Dean Reek, Executive Director of Buckeye Firearms Association, and in a moment I'll be joined by Ron Lemieux, an attorney who has been taking a deep dive into the sanctuary movement and will explain what it's all about. Today, government bodies all over America, at the state, county, and local levels, are declaring themselves to be gun sanctuaries or Second Amendment sanctuaries. The sanctuary movement may be the biggest story in the gun rights community. Interest has eclipsed traditionally big stories, such as constitutional carry. The latest count shows that nearly half of all counties in the U.S. have declared themselves sanctuaries, and 10 states have become sanctuary states. In April of 2021 alone, six states became sanctuaries. This includes Arizona, Montana, Nebraska, North Dakota, Oklahoma, and West Virginia. But while interest is sky-high in the sanctuary movement, and many believe this is the answer to all our gun control problems... Second Amendment sanctuaries remain controversial even among gun owners and legal experts say that this tactic creates legal and political problems and in some cases can lead to serious legal problems for gun owners who don't understand the downside of sanctuary status. The idea for Second Amendment sanctuaries comes from a similar concept used by immigration activists. Immigration sanctuary cities or sanctuary states have been around for a while and are places where elected officials have decided to not cooperate with federal authorities on enforcement of immigration laws. Columbus, Ohio, for example, is a sanctuary city, and generally what this means is that local authorities won't report, hold, or turn over illegal immigrants to ICE or use resources to aid federal authorities on immigration enforcement. Near my home, There are a variety of apartment complexes with a high concentration of illegal immigrants. It's not a secret. Authorities know where the illegals are, but they do nothing about it. This is where gun rights activists got the idea. If the left can do it for immigration laws they disagree with, why can't the right do it for gun laws they disagree with? There are two ways gun rights activists establish Second Amendment sanctuaries. Resolutions and legislation. And there's a big difference between these two. A resolution is little more than the expression of an opinion or an intention by a government body. It basically says, here's what we believe, here's what we want, or this is what we intend. So a county could pass a resolution that says, we believe in Second Amendment rights, we reject any laws that infringe on these rights, and we refuse to enforce these laws. A resolution has no force of law. It doesn't change the law. And it can't stop federal or state authorities from enforcing laws. So, in a way, it's symbolic. But local authorities have great discretion when it comes to law enforcement. So the effect is that residents in that area may not feel as burdened by anti-gun laws and can potentially exercise their rights more fully. Then there's legislation. This is actual law. And this is what can give sanctuary real teeth. But it's also where things get tricky. Second Amendment sanctuary laws generally declare that city, county, or state government won't recognize or enforce any federal law that infringes on Second Amendment rights. Many prohibit local officials from participating in federal enforcement. Some even add civil and criminal penalties for those who do participate in enforcement. A few sanctuary laws even attempt to criminalize the actions of federal agents, though most people believe this goes too far and can't be enforced. So let's bring in our special guest, Ron Lemieux, one of Buckeye Firearm Association's consulting attorneys and a former board member. Hi, Ron. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me on, Dean. Ron, in your opinion, why are so many local and state governments jumping on this sanctuary bandwagon?
1: Well, I think that what we're seeing here is a, a movement across the country. People in various states are are concerned that their constitutional rights are are being slowly eroded uh, and sometimes being slashed quite quickly and egregiously.
0: so you know i've I've talked about resolutions, and resolutions are great. They basically say, you know, here's what we believe. here's what we intend. Here's what we would like but they don't really have the force of law. Other places are actually passing legislation. Now, there's a problem with a lot of these laws, though. Do you think that the sanctuary laws that are being passed can actually do any good to fight unconstitutional gun control?
1: Uh, perhaps, uh, depending on uh, which uh, legislature we're talking about and uh, which bill that we're talking about. As you mentioned, uh, some of these resolutions and Bills are merely symbolic a way of the legislature in that particular state or county to uh, voice their uh, objection to what's happening at the executive and uh, legislative branch in D.C. On the other hand, you have some other bills that do have legal and practical effect.
0: Yeah, I mean, some of these are really kind of an end run around the normal legal or legislative process. And I don't want anyone to get the wrong idea. BFA absolutely supports the idea behind the sanctuary movement. But I think it's important to understand some of the problems that can creep into these bills. And, uh, you know, these laws can cause problems, sometimes problems for individual gun owners. And we've seen gun owners getting in trouble across the country when they think, well, I can just ignore all of these laws. And they get into a federal enforcement situation and find themselves in trouble. One of the problems that we've seen, and I know that you've examined a lot of these bills across the country, one of these problems is nullification. Basically, laws that come out and say, if the federal government passes a law we don't like or we think is unconstitutional, they're just null and void. Can you actually do that? You know, like here in Ohio, could, could we pass a law that just says federal law is null and void, that's it. To answer that question, let me touch on a little background.
1: In the 1980s, we saw you know, U.S. cities begin sanctuary movements for immigrants, and that has continued on uh, into the 21st century with various cities across the United States providing sanctuaries for illegal immigrants. So we're seeing the same thing happen uh, now with Second Amendment sanctuaries. I'm not sure if it's a uh, exactly an end run, but it's, it's something different that states are doing. They are following the model that was set by immigration movements. Specifically, the 10th Amendment is important in this context. Basically, it says that those powers not specifically granted to the U.S. government are reserved to the states. And the states are supposed to be sovereign entities in fact their sovereignty is what gives them their police power we do have a pretty good case law right now on the books for anti what's called the anti-commandeering doctrine basically it says that the federal government cannot force states to use their own resources to facilitate or affect uh, the enfor- enforcement of federal law so as far as nullification goes The federal government can always enforce their laws throughout the United States, no matter what state you're in, no matter if the state in question or the county in question has a Second Amendment sanctuary. The federal government can use its own federal agents, ATF, FBI, DOJ, other federal agents, to enforce federal laws. That will never change. However, what states can do in practice is refuse to cooperate with those types of federal enforcements, which they believe are an infringement on either the federal U.S. Constitution
0: or their own state constitution. So technically, like the state of Ohio or a county within Ohio can't literally pass a law and nullify federal law. The federal government can always enforce its own law, but they just don't have to cooperate So at that local level or at the state level, it might have a very similar effect to nullification. Am I reading that correctly?
1: Yeah, that's right, Dean. These types of resolutions we're seeing don't literally nullify the federal law. However, they have the effect of at least greatly chilling uh, the enforcement of those federal laws. So, for example, uh, here in Ohio, we have about, from the last reports I've seen in 2019, We have around 35,000 law enforcement officers employed in Ohio versus the ATF, who currently has 5,000 federal employees across the entire United States. And about a third of those are actually in administration. So you can see that, you know, without the cooperation of state law enforcement, it's going to be difficult for the ATF or another federal agency to enforce what we in or in other states have deemed as unconstitutional federal laws and protected
0: by a Second Amendment sanctuary bill. So, I mean, that's an important point uh, that the, fe- the federal government can enforce its own laws, but it really leans heavily on states to enforce those laws. So if a state, for example, decides it's just not going to enforce, then the federal government has a real problem. They can enforce their laws, but they, they just don't have the resources or the infrastructure to do it the way they would want to. So so li- again, literally, you can't nullify federal law, but you can put a gigantic hurdle in front of them to have laws enforced if you just decide not to cooperate.
1: Yeah, that's right, Dean. Uh, actually, and this this tactic of not cooperating with federal officers with regards to laws that infringe upon rights, actually, that, that theory in practice goes back to uh, Madison's Federalist Papers. You know, he suggested in, in those papers, if you look at that, that that was the way to deal with this type of problem, which was a refusal to cooperate with the officers of the union. And for James Madison, that was the, the remedy in situations like this.
0: And so, I mean, this is like a like a history lesson, Ron. Uh, you know, we always talk about, or you certainly hear people talk about, we have a democracy. Actually, what we have is a federal republic. We have, yes, a federal government, but we have sovereign states that are their own government. It's, it's part of the checks and balances that we have. So, you know, if here in Ohio, we look at a law at the federal level, we think it's unconstitutional, and we agree here in Ohio we're just we're not going to enforce that we're not going to cooperate with it we can do that and there's there is a long history of doing that not just with immigration but with other things as well that that's our right that's the way that our government was purposely set up so that states can push back on the federal government one example that we've already seen involving firearms is that on the federal level marijuana continues to be illegal But here in Ohio, at least with medical marijuana, it is made legal. So state law and federal law conflict. A lot of people don't get that, but both of those laws are valid at the same time.
1: Yeah, currently uh, marijuana is still a Schedule I controlled substance. And I think a lot of states were losing patience with the federal government to change those laws. and yeah, they 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 just refuse to cooperate with federal agents with regards to marijuana laws. And coming back to second amendment sanctuary, the the federal agents, ATF, or otherwise, they're not out responding to regular calls. They're not out on the street. Uh, they're 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 not out on the street responding to domestic disturbances, things like that. all of the the regular interactions that citizens in Ohio have with law enforcement. The ATF and federal government are more targeted investigations. It's not the type of thing where we have the regular type of law enforcement interaction. So without that assistance from state law enforcement, it's going to be very difficult, as we've said, for the federal government to enforce any law that is protected by a Second Amendment Protection Act.
0: Now, Ron, when we get down to the city and county level, this is where things get a little a little different. We've said that states can push back on the federal government because states have sovereign governments, but and and I don't claim to be, you know, the scholar in this area, but when it comes to cities and counties, these are subdivisions of the state, right? So that, you know, in Ohio, we have 88 counties. Those 88 counties are not sovereign governments. They, those are subdivisions of the state and they're supposed to enforce state law
1: yeah that's right dean counties are subdivisions and at least in in theory and in practice anyway they're supposed to be under the direct control of the state that is in uh contrast to a state within with with vis-a-vis the federal government uh, which is a different kind of relationship So, I actually saw some figures recently that over half now, over half of the U.S. counties in the United States have passed some sort of Second Amendment uh, sanctuary or Second Amendment protection resolution. Quite a large number. However, some of those states have laws that differ from those resolutions. So, I believe Oregon. Uh, there's a county in Oregon now, and it's going through litigation. It's going to be a good one to watch as far as on the county versus state level, where a county's Second Amendment resolutions uh,
0: differ from state laws. And it gets really complicated because it depends on how the state constitution is written, right? that That's where you dictate what counties or cities have to do is there a home rule or not? And and in Ohio and other states, there's preemption. So in Ohio, we have preemption. Generally, we consider that a good thing because you know the 2,000 plus cities and townships and, and villages in Ohio they can't pass their own gun laws. So uh, you know that that all makes it pretty complicated. If a county says they're going to be a sanctuary county, okay, but they still have to follow state law.
1: Yeah, correct. Here in Ohio, at least, we have laws on the books that prevent cities from regulating firearms unless that regulation or ordinance is in accordance with our own state law.
0: But but here again, there, there's kind of a another non-enforcement issue because don't prosecutors in, in local districts have an awful lot of discretion? So, I mean, the federal government can't just be everywhere. As you say, they're not dealing on the front line with gun owners. So if prosecutors locally decide they're just not going to prosecute or locally laws aren't going to be enforced, that might be a little uh, a little strange as far as w- how legal that is. But they can still do it. So, you know, if a prosecutor decides they're not going to prosecute, it, it's not going to go to trial. No, one, no one's going to be uh, indicted. So, again, if you don't cooperate, you have the effect of nullification sometimes. Yeah, I, I think that's
1: a, a correct statement. Uh, for a prosecutor to not prosecute a state law is a very, very rare instance. I, I think in, in almost all circumstances, prosecutors are, and uh, law enforcement agencies are going to try to enforce the and affect uh state law to the best of their ability. However, as you mentioned, uh, there is some prosecutorial discretion and even law enforcement discretion uh, at, at the initial stages of an investigation. And that has always been the
0: case in our country. So if this legislation that that might be passed in in various areas, if it's not structured correctly, people can get in trouble. You had mentioned to me when we were talking about this that uh, you had actually found circumstances where people had gotten in trouble—that uh, they there was some sort of sanctuary law resolution—and they got tied up with a case and gotten pretty serious trouble over this.
1: Yeah, there was such a case um, out in Kansas. Kansas actually passed uh, one of their uh, versions of a Second Amendment Protection Act back in 2013, and we, we there was an individual out there who was charged with a federal offense. And it went up through uh, the appeals process. And in that case, that defendant uh, tried to use the Second Amendment Protection Act in Kansas as a defense,
0: but was unsuccessful. So, in the end, what we're saying here is that uh, these sanctuary laws or sanctuary resolutions can have a pretty big effect on the exercise of Second Amendment rights, but you've just got to be careful. You have to be careful, I think, on how you structure the laws, and I think it's really important for citizens, for gun owners to understand some of the nuance here. It, you, you, you literally are not nullifying law. You're, you're taking something of a risk. I mean, even in Ohio, if you have marijuana, you're taking something of a risk because federal authorities could enforce law, but generally they won't. So I, th- I think that uh, you, you need to be aware of how these things work. And what they do and they don't do. You, you can't just say, well, we're a sanctuary. I'm going to do whatever I want.
1: Right. Yeah, I think with anything like this, uh, you know, there, there has to be some public education. We certainly don't want our, our citizens here in Ohio or elsewhere to believe that the federal agents can't enforce their own laws. Well, we don't want that to be, uh, we don't want to, whether it be any misconception
0: on that part. Ron, thanks for being on the podcast and for explaining some of this. I know this is a kind of confusing issue, but, uh, you know, we'll see whether this sanctuary law gets passed in Ohio. And I think you're right on education. If, if a sanctuary law gets passed, it's going to be on us and on legislators to educate people on what they mean, what they don't mean, and where that gray area is so that people aren't going to get themselves in trouble. I'm glad you are on the podcast to explain all this, and I hope to have you back someday. Thanks for having me, Dane. It was a pleasure. That's all for this episode of Keep and Bear Radio. If you enjoyed the podcast, I urge you to subscribe. And please subscribe to the Buckeye Firearms Association newsletter at buckeyefirearms.org. If you'd like to become a member and support the work of BFA, go to joinbfa.org. Use the discount code PODCAST, To get $10 off your membership, that's joinpfa.org. We'll see you next time on Keep and Bear Radio.